Agrol West podcast coming to you from the west of Ireland. Hello and welcome to the Scroll West podcast series. In this episode, Spring, a connecting force, we find out when spring actually begins, how Celtic pagan rituals are still part of everyday life, how Christianity adopted pagan festivals, and the 17th century poet from County Mayo who still speak to us every spring through Anish Chokth Anari. So we're in that vibrant season of spring, the season of crafting and building, renewal and new life. There are three things which announce the beginning of spring in Ireland. The poem Anish Chokth Anari by Anton Oraftri, St Bridget's Day and the Daffodil, which indicates that the earth in the northern hemisphere feels the heat of the sun. Spring is a very exciting time on the farm, as well as being a very busy time. Lots of young animals are born, especially lambs and calves. As well as the new animals arriving, farm life is hectic, preparing the soil for seeding and planting. Landscapes erupt with life, with spring flowers providing welcome splashes of colour. Fields are green and we notice buds appearing on the trees. We get an influx of visiting birds. The cuckoo, of course, arrives in April. Birds are preparing for the nesting season and we anticipate the dawn chorus and evening birdsong. days are getting longer, the sun stretches farther west and we have some spectacular sunrises and sunsets. But the big question is, when does spring actually begin? What qualifies as the first day of spring can often be a point of discussion between people. Is it the start of February or the start of March or some would claim the 21st of March? There are a couple of different reasons behind different disputes surrounding this very baffling question. But the answer lies in astronomy. Stay with us and we will unravel the reason for so much confusion. There are two reasons for so many discussions about spring. The first one is barometric or meteorological, which means it's based on climate patterns. The second is astronomical, which means how the Earth is orientated towards the Sun at a particular time. Now, first, let's deal with the idea that spring is based on climatic conditions, which is based on annual temperature cycles and the Gregorian calendar. Now, I wonder if this method is still reliable in a time of global warming and climate change. 
I don't know. I would have to ask the experts on that and that is for another day. The problem I see with this school of thought is that the seasons would be constantly shifting and that would cause great confusion. I do sometimes hear people say, oh the seasons are changing. So what's happening is that the climatic conditions across the seasons are thrown into flux because of global warming. So we could well end up with warmer winters or colder springs. But the meteorological calendar spring is supposed to start on the 1st of March, ending on the 31st of May. I don't know anybody living in the countryside who thinks that spring springs to the end of May. Now, let's look at the second school of thought, which is the astronomical one. This is based on the Earth's movement around the sun. So the seasons are determined by equinox and solstice, which happens at the equipoint or middle of the season. We are talking here about the Northern Hemisphere only, as this is where we are on the island of Ireland. The two solstices happen in June and December. These are lunar dated, so there will be a slight variation in the days. Solstice determines midwinter and midsummer giving us the longest day on the 21st of June and the shortest day on December the 21st. Equinoxes happen on March the 21st and September the 21st. These are the days when the sun is exactly above the equator, which makes day and night of equal length. The spring equinox on the 21st of March is mid-spring and not the beginning of spring. This means that spring begins on February the 1st. This is according to astronomers and cosmologists and to our Celtic ancestors. We have no reason to doubt them. We get minute discrepancies because of quarter days. As we know, the Gregorian calendar couldn't add quarter days, so that's why we get an extra day every four years in February. These quarter days were particularly important in pre-Christian and Celtic Ireland. They organised their livelihoods and survival mechanisms around the position of the Earth's pines in relation to the sun. And that is why we have sites like Newgrange, the prehistoric monument in County Meath. This is the largest and most impressive of several dozen sites which tracks the Earth's position in relation to the sun. Newgrange is orientated to the winter solstice sunrise and was constructed 5,000 years ago. It forms part of a sacred landscape that includes the nearby site of Tara, which is considered to be the centre of Ireland and was the seat of the High Kings of ancient Ireland. Here in Ireland, we talk a lot about the weather, the seasons, climatic conditions and its effects. It may well be that up until the very recent past, or more to the point, recent past history, we were absolutely dependent on the weather for our very survival and livelihoods. I'm talking right up to the 70s and 80s here. It was a time when everyone living in the countryside produced their own food, including potatoes, vegetables, dairy and poultry as well as harvesting fodder for their livestock to sustain them throughout the winter months. All of this took planning, so there was a great understanding of weather patterns, the seasons and how tides worked with moon phases. For instance, 
Springtime was of great significance because it's when the farmers harvested seaweed to fertilize the crops. A spring tide happens when the sun and moon align to create the greatest gravitational pull on the sea. This is because both the sun and the moon have combined greater gravitational force which pulls the sea towards them. This means the side of the earth where both the sun and the moon align have the lowest tide, where the opposite side of the earth experience the highest tide. So next time you're greeting somebody and they say, not a bad day, engage with them. The weather is exciting and it makes the world go round and who knows we might even have strands of cosmic met knowledge in our DNA. The 1st of February here in Ireland is the feast day of St. Bridget. This was known in the Celtic world as Imbolg. So how much do we know about St. Bridget and how come she is still so relevant? Well, it all goes back to our Celtic ancestors. Bridget was born near Dundalk in County Louth around 450 AD. Bridget's father was a pagan chieftain of Leinster. Her mother was Christian, believed to be from Lusitania, an area which is now part of modern-day Spain and Portugal. Bridget's father, Duhok, belonged to a Celtic tribe and practised Celtic paganism. He named his daughter after the pagan goddess of fire. Bridget is associated with perpetual sacred flame. Now, story has it that after Bridget was born, Duhok sold her and her mother to another wealthy druid. After being set free from slavery, Bridget's father tried to have her married to the king of Ulster. So Duhok had high notions and an eye on a crown of sorts. Bridget was hardworking. She was a woman of the land and was involved in brewing, farming, crafts for time and of course healing the sick. Bridget lived in a time of great change. Christianity arrived in Ireland around 400 AD and was being established in Bridget's earlier years. She was influenced by the preaching of St. Patrick and decided that she wished to follow the Christian path. In this next clip, we hear from Paul Dunn from Canberra Walks, whom I had the pleasure of doing a boring walk with some time ago. Paul explains how celebrations of the seasons in Ireland transitioned from Celtic to a Christian norm. Paul also explains how many of the pagan traditions were adopted by Christianity in popular holy wells and the St. Bridget Cross. Celts had a very well-established religious uh, set of beliefs, if you like, um, as well as a very uh, well-organised legal system we know today as Brehan Laws. And um, it's funny how the pagan beliefs have have kind of remained with us through to today in Ireland. That's why we're kind of regarded as the last bastion, or the last of the Celtic peoples left out in the fringes of Europe. The Celts' religion was very much rooted in nature. Anything, it was all about different elements of nature. For instance, water, anywhere water emerged from the ground, it was regarded as a source of life. It's where life came out of the earth. And they were holy places in, in, in Celtic religion. They viewed, they viewed um, the, the year as a circle. And the circle was divided into four quarters by the solstices and the uh, equinoxes. 
So you had the summer and winter solstice, and in between them you had the uh, autumnal and spring equinoxes. But the Celts had their major festivals midway between those, midway in those quarters. They call them the cross quarter festivals. And for instance, you had in springtime you had Imbolg which was today, as we, we call it St. Bridget's Day, it's another part of this Christianizing of the earlier belief uh, patterns. Um, and we celebrate that the 1st of February. Now, these would have been uh, lunar festivals, so the, the dates would have varied, but they'd be approximately around the 1st of February for Imbolg. And Imbolg was all about uh, fertility. It was when um, the, they, they carried out the rituals to pray to their gods to deliver calves for their cattle and sheep would have lambs that they'd be fertile and they had different rituals like one of them that's kind of continued into Christianity. Today we call it the St. Bridget's Cross but they used to make little symbols or garlands out of um, rushes and put them above the, 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 the door of their cow barn so that their cattle would be healthy. The Christian festivals were all they were celebrated in two parts. The eve of the festival, the night before the festival, was when you carried out the various rituals that were associated with the festival. And the, the festive day itself was exactly that. It was a day of merriment, it was a day of festivities. So Imbolg was the first one. What um, Patrick or the other Christian uh, missionaries that arrived in Ireland to spread the word of, of the gospel, what they did was they didn't turn around to the Celts that were living here and say, look, you know, that, that belief that you had about the water coming out of the mountain being holy or the... Um, that you could see the spirits in, at, at Samhain, that's, that, that's all rubbish, that your ancestors were Egypts to be doing that sort of thing. They didn't say that because if they did, Patrick and Palladius and all of those would have been run out of the country. What they did was they took the belief patterns of the Celts and they incorporated them into, they gave them Christian meaning and they said, okay, that's a holy well. That well is associated with St. Patrick, or that well is associated with St. Colman, and you should go there on his feast day and say prayers at the well. And it allowed the, Christ the, the Celts to continue that kind of belief pattern that they had, and yet they were no longer praying to pagan gods, but they were praying to Christian gods or Christian spirit, sorry, one Christian god, or to the Christian saints to intercede on their behalf with God. So that's, um, that's the continuation. And if you look at our beliefs today, we still have a lot of our superstitions about, say, the fairy tree or the bush, the praying or pilgrimages to the wells. I mean, St. Coleman's well over at St. Coleman's bed at Eagle's Rock, there, it, I think it was the second weekend, the second Sunday, sorry, the second Sunday, I think, in July, it was a pattern day and people went over to pray. And uh, they were continuing what really is a, you know, it's a, a tradition that goes back thousands of years back to that Iron Age Celtic period. Scroll West podcast coming to you from the west of Ireland. A very good insight there from Paul John as to how we moved from the Celtic worship to Christianity. Recently I came across a print of the pagan wheel of the seasonal festivals. I noticed there was one called Ostara or Oster celebrated on the spring equinox, which absolutely coincides with our Christian Easter, which falls on the first Sunday after the first full moon after the 21st of March on the spring equinox. My father was the first person to enlighten me to this. I thought this was incredible 
and now I understand the reason why. Bridget, of course, was very generous and empathetic to the poor. She could never refuse the poor whenever they came to her door. Her father was not overly generous and was not at all happy that Bridget gave away so much food to the impoverished. It was for this reason that her father sent her off to a convent. This, of course, suited Bridget because then she was free to follow her chosen path. Bridget first founded a convent in Clara, County Offaly. She had many foundations afterwards, but probably the most significant was Kildare Abbey, founded in 484 AD. It is believed that the lost manuscript, the Book of Kildare, was written at Kildare Abbey, and some even believe it to be the original Book of Kells. After her death in 524 AD, she was laid to rest in the tomb before the high altar in her abbey church in Kildare. Several years later, her remains were exhumed and transported to Downpatrick to be laid to rest with the two other patron saints of Ireland, St. Patrick and St. Columba. St. Bridget's crosses are still made here in Ireland, particularly in the West and the Ireland Islands, keeping the history of St. Bridget current and alive. The crosses are made of rushes or willow and were traditionally hung by the door and in the rafters to protect the house from fire and evil spirits. There is still a custom of hanging out a white cloth on the eve of St Bridget's Day. This is intended to ward off illness and adversity. Bridget represents the light half of the year and the power that will bring people from the dark season of winter into spring. So it is fitting that from 2023, the 1st of February, the first day of spring and St. Bridget's Day are all welcomed with a bank holiday enshrined in our calendar in Ireland. Now staying with the connecting force of spring, we're brought to Enish Chokdanari by Anlo Dulcanchino which means spring is coming and the days will be getting longer, by Anton Oraftri, 1784-1835. The poem is just short of 200 years old and is still as relevant and as fresh as it was when it rolled off the lips of this still-remembered rambling barge from Caledon, County Mayo. Raftri was born into a large family on a shared small holding in Caledon near Kiltimock in 1784. Sadly, his whole family perished through an outbreak of smallpox. Raftery himself was left blind as a result. He has a line in the poem Misha Raftery, Le Sula Gonzales, which means with eyes without sight. He became the wandering bard of the West in the early 19th century. He moved from parish to parish. He relied on the generosity of the local people for shelter, food and drink, in return for his music, poetry, stories and news items. The house where he received hospitality on travels to Galway was O'Dwyer's in Dunari, which is between Lacrae and Woodford, and his annual visits are still remembered there today. 
Because Raftery was, as he described himself, Lesula Gonzalez, he knew all his poems and songs by heart, reciting them at will or composing new ones on the spot for some occasion. He learned to play the fiddle and was a natural bard. Among his many poems, the best known are Anish Choktanari and For this episode, Spring, a Connecting Force, we concentrate on Anish Chakdanari. From the poem, we learn that Raftery was at his best when he was back amongst his own people in his native Kilaidon. Kilaidon Anish Chakdanari beyond Laudal Kanchino Istarish Nafila Brija or Doe Memahiol O Korme Mikyane, Ni Stopi Me Kuiha, Goshasi Me Shis, El Arkondoeo, Eglor Clonawirish, Vesme Ankediha, Esamala Te Pista, Hosokus Meagol, Gakulchamak Rockhut, Gunyanat Kurt Mison, Avogus Gavila, the Vale on Ahamor, O Fogum Le Hukte, Gan Irene Macrisha, Mar Irene Angui. Nor scopan on kyo. Nor swina markara, nor galin tifista, or shiak avila, nor flani wio. Kaledan on bola of fossangak neon, tasmera su cravan, ismas the gok sort. Esta maimsha mahasa figartla magini, the mok on eastream, espimari shog. Now I will attempt the translation of that, so bear with me and we'll get through it together. Now spring is approaching, the day will be getting longer, and after St. Bridget's feast day, I will heist my sails. Oh, it entered my head, and I will not stop ever till I stand up in the middle of County Mayo. In Clare Morris, I'll spend the first night, and in Bala below, I will have my first drink. To Kiltimok I will go for a month-long stay, almost two miles from Ballinamore. I will leave it to chance that my heart will gladden, whether the wind rises or the fog scatters. When I think of Cara or Gollum below there, on Thornbush Mile or the Plains of Mayo. Kelaidan, a place where all good things flourish, blackberries, raspberries, treats by the score. Were I to stand there again amongst my own people, age would fall from me and I would have my youth again. Raftery looked forward to Kelaidan like nothing else. He loved his native Kelaidan, where he was from his native Mayo and his rambles through the West. He was a man of the people and that was the shining light of his life. Imagine there were very little roads through the West of Ireland and scarcely any between Galway and Mayo. Many of the roads were constructed in the height of the famine, which began in 1845. It was decided in the British Parliament by Trevelyan that no relief should be given to Ireland unless the starving people did a day's work breaking stones in their bare feet in order to receive the meagrest amount of food to share with the rest of the family. 
many of whom were living in huts and hovels in rural areas. So when Raftery on Phila was travelling around the West, it was on foot through the fields. Add that to the fact that he was totally blind. He must have travelled for miles and days before he encountered a village. We can only imagine the challenges he must have faced. He would have travelled for miles and days before he encountered a village, a community or even a solitary person. Every winter after coming out of the dark winter, Anish Chakthanari is like a prelude to spring. And thanks to Raftery and Phila for that. We expect brighter days ahead. Just like Raftery, we look forward to longer days and nature springing back to life. The beginning of renewal and reawakening. New leaves, fresh daffodils, lambs and new calves in the fields. And above all, bright sunshine with hope and joy in our lives. Anish Chakthanari, the opening anthem to spring. Now we have talked about the beginning of spring, the customs associated with spring, and we made the connection with how we celebrate now and how the ancient Celts celebrated. We discovered that they celebrated mid-season, whereas we acknowledge our seasons at the beginning. Now we must mention migratory birds, which come to our shores every year. Our winter visiting birds will make their way back to their Arctic habitats, clearing the way for the new adventurers. Being situated at the edge of Europe, the west coast of Ireland is the first port of call for transatlantic migratory birds. Strangely, we seem to notice or have more welcome for our spring-summer visiting birds. That is perhaps because we are outdoors more, there is more daylight, and we have summer on our minds. Most of our migratory birds arrive mid to late spring. Swallows travel from South Africa, arriving here towards the end of April. The same pair often find the same nest every year, mainly in farm sheds. Swallows travel back in families with the younger ones following their parents. Sadly, of course, vast numbers are lost in transit, mainly due to weather conditions. The corncrake used to be a familiar summer visitor from Africa, now threatened with global extinction. This is mainly due to intensive farming and early mowing. Can be found now in small numbers in Galway Mayo and North Donegal. Found on holdings where the use of machinery is not possible and late hay saving is still practised. The cuckoo arrives in April but is considered as a summer visitor stays around till July, disappearing well before the autumn, leaving many other bird species to hatch and feed the offspring. So it's off back to Italy before the long flight back to Africa. We also notice the puffins in spring. They're a northern hemisphere species. We're familiar with the Atlantic puffin. They live mainly at sea, but come into the colonies in spring to nest. They're found in the Skelligs and the Cliffs of Moher. This brings us to the end of the episode, Spring, a Connecting Force. Thank you for tuning in to the Scroll West podcast series. Feel free to contact me on scrollwest at gmail.com 
with any suggestions, ideas or comments. Thanks to Paul Dawn for connecting us back to our pagan customs. I will leave you now with some refreshing sounds of wild bird melody and spring sounds. Have a wonderful spring. West podcast coming to you from the west of Ireland.